This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And the Lord said, let there be light. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you. It's good to be, uh, good to be in this place of worship. Um, we have been in a, in a series where we've been looking at the prophet Jonah, reading his book, Today we come to the last of those chapters, chapter 4. Before we read that text, though, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a spot where you've been irritated with God? Ever been in a place where you've been uh, really just sort of ticked off at what God's doing? Uh, Maybe in your own life or in the life of somebody else or the life of the world. You ever been at that spot? Um, Yesterday, I was in a conversation and somebody was was, uh, telling me about their own relationship uh, their own marriage relationship, and, and she said, you know, we got mad at one another today, and we, we went away, and then we, we came back. She said, you ever get mad at your wife? And I said, we've been married 22 years. I don't think I've ever gotten mad at my wife. And I'm like, oh, well, I better take that back. Uh, that's not really true. Because when you're in close relationship with somebody else, there are days, there are moments, there's maybe even seasons where you don't always see eye to eye, where you've you just have a disagreement, and the disagreement can go beyond that. In the life of Jonah, in the story of Jonah, we find that God comes along to Jonah, meets him on, in his life, in the midst of his life, and he says, Jonah, I want you to do something for me. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to speak a word, my word, in Nineveh. Jonah says, uh, great plan, God, but I don't want to do it. And so he runs away. So chapter 1, we, we watched as Jonah ran away, tried to get away. And God said, no, I really do want you to go to Nineveh. And so Jonah, at the, at the bottom of the world, really, in the, in the belly of a fish, at the bottom of the sea, God comes and he says, uh, I'm still present to you, Jonah. And Jonah says, you are God. And so Jonah decides in that moment to run with God. And he says, he cries out to God. He says, where else can I turn but to turn to you? And so up onto the shore, Jonah is, is given a ride from the fish and from God, and he finds himself walking, and he goes to Nineveh. So chapter 3, Jonah begins to walk through this great city of Nineveh, which is today's the modern-day city of Mosul in Iraq. Jonah walks through, or at least he begins to walk through. And as he walks through, he begins to give the message that God has given him to give. And and then in the rest of chapter 3, the writer takes a unique twist and turn because right at the beginning he tells us that Jonah's speaking, but Jonah's voice is lost because the people tend to listen. They tend to, to hear what he's saying. They, um, and word, in fact, goes to the king. And so the king calls for a fast and for people to put on sackcloth and, and ashes to be repentant, to turn, um, to see if God would do something different. And so at the end of chapter 3, the writer tells us in this story that, jo- that God decides t- to relent, to not bring to Nineveh what he had said through Jonah that he was going to bring, not to bring destruction, but to be merciful. And when Jonah realizes this, senses this, begins to see it, begins to wait for this destruction, but the destruction doesn't come, that's where we enter the story and we find ourselves in chapter 4. And so we start reading here. So Jonah complained to the Lord, and his complaint really is is that the city is still standing. 
Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. Every time I see that word, I think of Mr. Lunt in, in a Veggie Tales movie of Jonah. Any parents in here been afflicted with the Veggie Tales Jonah? Or I mean, not afflicted. It's a great, it's a great film, but you, you know. Tarshish, so I hear Mr. Lunt saying Tarshish. So um, that's why I ran away to Tarshish. Uh, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Uh, go back to that first slide, will you there? Now, when Jonah begins to quote here, uh, it's, in, I think, verse 2 or something like that. Know that you are a compassionate God, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love. He's quoting something that he has been raised with all of his life. Um, those are words that God spoke to Moses up on, up on the mountain. And Moses and God were, were having a close encounter, and, and, Mo, and God was giving to Moses the Ten Commandments. There was this moment when Moses said to God, I want to see your face. I've heard your voice. I know that you're here, that you're in this presence, but I want to see your face. God said, you can't see my face. You can see the, the backside of me. And, and, uh, but he said, I will tell you who I am. I am the Lord. And, and, and as the Lord tells Moses who he is, he describes himself with these words, a merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Those words became almost like a creed. If you were to ask somebody in Israel, what do you believe about God? They could say this because they'd heard it from the time that they were just kids growing up, going to synagogue, going to temple. They'd heard this comment about who God is. And so Jonah, when he says, I knew that you were this kind of God, is recounting this creed that he said all along his life and what he believed about God. The problem that we see in Jonah is that Jonah thought that, that the way of God was expressed to Israel and to Israel alone. But he finds it being expressed in other places. And he doesn't know what to do with it. So he said, I wish I would die. Kill me. Kill me now. There in my mind, <clears throat> um, I just have, what's that English parody from the 70s, the movie? going through my head, my, Monty Python. I just have Monty Python going through my head right now. Sorry, you didn't need to know that. We're in the middle of reading scripture. Let's keep going. <laughs> Is it right for you to be angry about this? Now, it's interesting. I don't know what kind of world you grew up in, but uh, most of the time I never saw or heard anybody express anger toward God, even if they were. Because it was always sort of a, you know, how is God going to reply? That's how God replies. Is it right for you to be angry? He asks a question. Jonah doesn't give a reply, but he just picks up his stakes or he picks up whatever gear he's got, and he went out of the city to the east side of the city, and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. 
And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint, and he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Uh, Jonah, three times in this text, is going to wish that he was dead. So, I mean, time and again, he's just sort of sitting in that place, and he's not really willing to be moved. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And with that question, the reading ends. The book of Jonah ends. In just a few brief moments that we have together today, I'd like to suggest to you uh, a, a few things. The first thing I'd like to suggest to you is that Jonah's angry. He's ticked off, and he's ticked off at God. And uh, he doesn't hide that reality. He doesn't stuff that reality. He just lets it come out. He's ticked off because God has sort of blown up Jonah's own understanding about who God is. In Jonah's world, God loved Israel. God was merciful and compassionate towards Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. All of the world was kind of supposed to become like Israel, like Judah. But God's interest in the rest of the world, at least in Jonah's understanding, in his in his theology, if you will, his outlook on the world, the rest of the world didn't have that same kind of favor. And so when God spoke about a foreign country, whatever God spoke about the foreign country was supposed to take place. Jonah knew that his own people were loved. But he thought the rest of the world didn't have that same kind of love coming from God. And yet that's the kind of thing that God expresses to Jonah. That he loves not just Jonah, but he loves Israel and he loves the rest of the world. When Jesus shows up and he, and he walks through, throughout Palestine and he uh, goes to Jerusalem, a number of times when Jesus is in Jerusalem, people, uh, they often come down on two dividing lines between Jesus. Some, sometimes people love what he does and other times they don't like what he does. And the dividing lines seems to be around this this point of, of decision like who is it that God embraces because sometimes Jesus will be seen with people that are called sinners or tax collectors and and some people who are righteous look at that and they go does God really want to hang out with people like that it sort of it, it uh, comes to a pinnacle and a number of readers of the book of Jonah have said there's something that is being paralleled in the book of Jonah and also in the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 where he talks about the prodigal the prodigal son who runs away, and you've got two sons of a father, and one son is righteous. He does everything the father asks, and another son doesn't do anything that the father would be pleasing to the father, but yet at one point that son comes home, and the father decides to throw a welcome home party, and he decides to take a, a, the fatted calf and make a great big barbecue and call all the neighbors around for a celebration. And the older son says, this just isn't right. What you're doing isn't right because you're embracing somebody who hasn't embraced you. 
people have read both Jonah's story and the story that Jesus said, um, they find a parallel there. Because Jonah's angst is the same angst of, of a number of people who watched Jesus' ministry. And they're like, God, um, we try to do right and live right, and yet you seem to embrace other people too. Other people who don't want to live right or, or honor and worship you. Um, Richard Rohr has written a number of, of books. He's a Catholic um, author and Franciscan, in a book that I'm reading of his right now, he has this quote. He says, every time God forgives us, God is saying that God's own rules do not matter as much as the relationship that God wants to create with us. Have you ever thought that God would break some of his own rules to have a relationship with us, with you? That's what I think Jonah is really angry about. That there are rules, at least rules, that Jonah expected God to abide by. But God is God, and he doesn't abide by all the rules. And Jonah's face to face with that. So Jonah's angry. And he lets his anger out. What do you do with your anger? What do you do when, when you have maybe this moment where... You've asked God for something or you've expected God to do something and God doesn't come through as you think that he should or ought. What do you do with that? What do you do when you're in a relationship with somebody else and, and that relationship isn't going like you think it ought to or think it should? And inside there's this anger. Do you let it out? Do you let it explode on, on other people? Um, do you stuff it down and just sort of carry it around with you? What do you do with sense of anger. Jonah is honest about it. Gives voice to it, right? Gives voice to it. It expresses it right back to God. He said, here's my complaint. Really, it's a complaint in this relationship that I have with you. He gives voice to it. The psalmists, they take up pen and, and not paper, but they take up a pen and a parchment and in their own places where they're walking alongside God and things are... Um, they're not as they expected them to be. They begin to write poetry and they begin to write songs. And a number of the songs have been just simply titled the Songs of Lament, the Psalms of Lament. And there's countless psalms that just reflect the heart of somebody who's wrestling with, with their own experience in life and where they think God may not be coming through. The psalmists do that. Uh, C.S. Lewis, can you post that picture of C.S. Lewis? Uh, not that one, but just the, there, there's, there's Lewis, later in life. C.S. Lewis, uh, one of my favorite writers of the 20th century. Love his Chronicles of Narnia. I think it's some of the best theology that you can read. If you, if you want to read some theology, read the Chronicles of Narnia. But later in life, C.S. Lewis uh, came in contact with a lady by the name of Joy Davidman. And Joy was an American woman who began a... a, a begin to exchange letters with Lewis. And then she ends up in, in England, and Lewis uh, takes compassion on Joy because she's there to receive some cancer treatments that she can't get in the United States. So <clears throat> Lewis, uh, and she faces, actually, she faces deportation. 
So Lewis marries Joy Davidman in a legal ceremony so that she can continue to stay in England. And then after they're married legally, he finds that he does indeed love her. And so then they're married in a religious service. Uh, and uh, he is just, he's taken away by Joy's presence. Like he never thought he'd be married. He never thought he would find this sense of joy in life. But he, he has it, and he's, he's just exuberant over it. But then this cancer that was in remission comes back. It comes back with a vengeance. And Lewis prays, and Lewis pleads with God to spare Joy's life. But just as Joy came into his world very quickly, it seems like Joy is taken out of his world almost instantly. And the prayers just seem to hit a ceiling. Um, his whole relationship with God is just put in a, in a very difficult spot. And so Lewis takes up pen, and he's a writer. And so he writes. He writes about his grief. He writes about his anger. He writes about his disappointment. And out of it comes a book. Lewis didn't intend for his writing to become a book. And so when somebody else read it, they said it ought to be a book, and so it came out under a pseudonym, N.W. Clerk. Near the end of his life, Lewis would allow his book, called A Grief Observed, to bear his name, to own this reality that the great theologian could go through this time of questioning and despair and just anger with God. Another theologian that I love from the 20th century is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer finds himself in a German prison in 1943. And he finds that he himself is having a hard time connecting with God or praying or even or praying for the other prisoners, even though he's a pastor. And so he begins to write letters to his dear friend Eberhard Bethke. And he simply tells Bethke everything that's on his mind and in his heart. He pours it out. And along the way, he finds, uh, well, he finds that faith that at moments is lost can come afresh and anew. These guys are pretty good theologians. They take a pen and paper and do some very creative things. Um, a couple years ago, I was at a place in my own life where I was pretty disappointed. I had had an experience that I, I thought was going to open up to some really wonderful opportunities. And it got to a certain point, and then the, the thing just fell apart. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in life. But it all just fell apart. I was disappointed in myself, and I was disappointed in God. And I knew that I needed to find a way to express it. I wasn't quite the writer that, that Bonhoeffer and, and Lewis are. So I was at my sister's house, and she lives out in the country. And we went into town on Black Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving, and I bought 10 ceramic plates and a 12-gauge shotgun and some game shot. And uh, the 10 plates, uh, they, were, they were representative of something, and so put them up on a on a piece of dirt, and, and uh, well, you can imagine what a 12-gauge shotgun does to, to 10 ceramic plates. 
and I just expressed it. Expressed the disappointment, expressed that which was lost, put it out there. Probably wasn't the most spiritual thing to do. Or maybe it was. How do you find a way to be honest about your angst? Maybe your disappointment, maybe even deep down, maybe you have anger that you need to express. Not in anyone else, but maybe it's just as Jonah did toward God. What kind of God can take that kind of expression from us? Do you notice all the way through the reading that as Jonah keeps expressing himself, God keeps asking him questions? There's no finger, right, from God. There's no, um, there's no catastrophe that's brought upon Jonah's life because he expresses his own inner thoughts and the ruminations of his heart. No, God begins to just ask him questions. You see, um, the kind of God that is expressed within the story of Jonah is a God who comes alongside of us. It's a God who stays with us. It's a God who can handle, who can handle all, of, all of our thoughts, can handle the deepest places of our heart. Who simply opens himself to Jonah and he says, express it, put it out there. Say what you want to say. As I was uh, reading through that story, as I took a, took a moment to look at this picture that we have here on the stage with that hand, two different hands, you know, one is kind of the hand of Jonah that's complaining over the fig leaf and the other is the hand of God that's concerned about Nineveh. As I looked at that, I, I was reminded of a passage, a little phrase that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy where he says, you know, Timothy, if there are moments in life where we are unfaithful, here's something about God. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. The story that keeps coming back over and over again throughout the book of Jonah is that God is somebody who remains alongside of us. He remains in the arena even when Jonah wants to quit, even when Jonah wants to go someplace else, even when Jonah wants to do something different, God is somebody who remains faithful. For he cannot deny who he is. So there's Jonah, angry, honest about his expression of it, and there's God, who's taking it, who's listening, who's asking questions, who's patient with Jonah. And then there's the end of the book. Because the book ends with a question. The book doesn't end with any sense of resolution. Does that bother any of you? That the book just ends with a question? When we were, um, when we were putting that little Jonah booklet together, I'd sent all the material to an editor in Kentucky, and she worked down to the last part, and she sent a, an email back. She's like, you need another chapter. And I said, what do you mean we need another chapter? She, see, she said, you need to bring resolution to this. It needs an epilogue or something. It just ends. I said, 
Well, that's how the book of Jonah ends. What do you want us to do? We can't write another chapter to the book of Jonah. It's just, you know, it's not possible. But I hear that sense of complaint, right? Like the book doesn't end. We don't know what happens to Jonah, at least not in the, in the book of Jonah. We don't know what happens to him. We don't know where he goes from there. And I would like to suggest to us that that's actually the point. That the Holy Spirit wants to do something with this book that brings it alive in us. Every year, Pastor Bob told us in week number two, that every year the book of Jonah is read during, uh, during the Day of Atonement or during the celebration of Yom Kippur. And when the book of Jonah is read, there's a question that's asked along the way. Who is Jonah? And there is a reply that the people give back. And the reply is this, we are Jonah. I'd like to suggest to you and to myself that if there was ever going to be a chapter 5, God intends for chapter 5 to be lived out in us. You see, for us to read the story and to, and to enter into the story and to realize that in the midst of our life, we will have places where we walk. We'll have moments of life where we are deeply disappointed. We're hurt. Our conception of who God is will fall apart. Where we will say some of the things that Jonah has said. And the writer wants to invite us to say, We are Jonah in those moments. But we don't have to stay there. We can move beyond those places. A couple of weeks ago, I was around a pastor by the name of Aaron Brown, and Aaron Brown was in Joplin when the tornadoes went through Joplin. And he stayed in Joplin ever since. He's helped be a part of the, the community that rebuilds that city. And Aaron Brown said, after the tornadoes, I found that I came to a place where I understand God less, but I trust God more. If there's one thing that the story of Jonah and the story of God is inviting us to come to, it's inviting us to come to this place where we don't have to have all the answers about God but we trust him and we'll walk with him wherever he walks.